Glory to God. We're going to be looking at some things in the question area. Here today, last week, we're looking at questions about Nicodemus, questions about how. You want to know how things work. We don't always need to know how things work. Sometimes we just need to do what we're told to do. We saw that with the miracle of Cana. In the miracle of Cana, uh, he said, whatever, you, whatever he says to you, do it. Didn't mean they understood it. It just said, whatever he said to you, do it. I don't understand how filling these, these uh, vats full of water is going to help the miracle, but they did it. I don't understand how taking this water out to the, the uh, master of the feast is going to change anything, but they did it. There are some things we just don't have the understanding of, but we're just supposed to do it. Just like we, we saw examples where go wash in the River Jordan and be clean. So they went and washed in the River Jordan and they were clean. Sometimes we have to do things that we don't understand. We just do them. And we have many places in the Word of God that will help you with that. Uh, I'll tell you this part of it now. Sometimes I say this at the end. But I have a video for you coming from Rick Renner tomorrow. It's short. If you got a little behind last week, because I gave you three. <laughs> the three half hour a piece. But this one's only a half hour. Uh, it's an old one by Rick, but Rick's not teaching anything new when he comes here to the States. So I went back to something old. I've heard it before. I love a couple of the stories that are on this, and they've always stuck with me. You may have heard it before, but it may be worthwhile. It's about how to follow the voice of the Spirit. And he'll give you an example on there that's just astounding of a time that he failed and a time that he succeeded as, as well. But uh, sometimes we can learn as much in failure as we can in, in the other things. And he'll, he'll share in that that in the one thing, God told him to do something, and he didn't understand it. And because he didn't understand it, he had a hard time obeying it. So it's a good story. You'll see that tomorrow. It'll come up at 11 o'clock on the church page. If you don't see the church Facebook page and you want to get the videos, just let me know because we have a text list. We put people on it, and it goes out the same time that the Facebook thing comes up, and you can get a direct, direct one for that. But turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 13. Because there are times that we need to have an understanding in order to do what God said. Don't think that understanding is, is uh, just, we don't need to know it, I just do whatever God says. No, there are some times that we need to understand what God said in order to do it the way that God said it. And so this is a story... I haven't taught on this one. I look back on this. It's about 10 years since we last did it. But I will bet you that if I tell you the title that I gave this 10 years ago, anyone who was here will remember this story. Remember this one. Can you get to heaven with washpan hands? Without washpan hands. How many remember that one? <laughs> Can you get to heaven without washpan hands? That's the way you ask the question for. Uh, but it's been a while since we've been into it. And we're going to take a look at the same story, just with a little different purpose. Here in uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Now, look at all these things that he knows. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. In other words, it's, it's time for him to lay his life down. That he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Boy, is that a qualifier. All these things are said in order for us to understand what he is doing. I don't think John understood all this at the time, but he understood it by the time he's writing this. All these things are true about Jesus. All these things happened in order for him to do this. It's real important that you understand that. That's not just in there. We got to know these are the things. He loved those that were given to him. He already knew Judas was in the group. He already knew that Satan had put it in his heart. If you knew that someone who betrayed you, if you had the heads up on it, and a week before, two weeks before, a day before, you knew they are going to do something to betray me. They're going to do something at the job. They're going to do something in the neighborhood. They're going to do something somewhere and betray me. If you knew about it ahead of time, and you knew that they were even going to turn you in in a way that it was going to hurt, affect your life, would it affect the way that you looked at them? Jesus, knowing that, he knew it was in Judas's heart. He had already set things in operation, already put things in motion to betray him. He knew that. He knew those that were his. He knew that he was going to the Father. He knew that he was dying on the cross for our sins. He knew all those things. Jesus is teaching a principle from a position of knowing and understanding. There are sometimes you just have to be in a position of knowing and understanding. Now, very often, we don't, we teach, we, we learn things from a position that we don't understand. I don't understand what's going on here. I don't understand what's, what's happening on this one. So I put, it, I put this in your outline for you. Very often today, we don't know and understand. We send in the replacements. When we don't know and understand, we send in the replacements. I don't have what I need, so I'm going to send something else in. And generally, I wrote down five things. You can probably keep on out. And I gave you, I think I gave you a little bit of space there if you want to write these things in. Or did I actually give you the lines? I probably gave you the lines. It's in mine that way. Sometimes I take them out of yours. I run out of space. But I wrote down five things. You can add some more things here to you if you want to. Because we send in the replacements. If I don't truly understand something, we put in the replacement. We were, um, my wife and I, we were working on something on the lawn the other day. And uh, we had uh, the, the wheels. Uh, we had one of those roller tillers. And you know how it has the, the wheels on it that they dug into the, dig into the soil? Well, the last time we had used it, something happened to the cotter pin, and I didn't have it. So I took a nail, and I put a nail in there, and I just bent the nail. And um, because I understood what a cotter pin was doing, I was able to find a replacement that would work. Well, she wasn't aware that I had done that, and so she was going to take off the, the front, um, uh, you know, the teeth out of the front, the wheels that were there, and she was going to clean them off before we began to do what we were doing. So she went to the one side, had the cotter pin pulled that right out. She understood what that was and come to the other side and said, wait a minute, this is a... This is a nail. And you're not pulling that out like you're a cotter pin. You need a tool. <laughs> because you've got to put it in and then bend it. So I had, to, oh, I had to go back in the shop. I forgot that I did that. I had to get a tool and bend it so that it, it could work. But see, I understood what a cotter pin is supposed to do, and so I could find a replacement for it. It was, it was no big deal. If you don't understand what the cotter pin is supposed to do on the wheel, you get a replacement, it'll fall right out on you. Or it's not going to be strong enough. This was strong enough. I got a... Uh, Plier, and I actually ended up breaking it off and then putting a new one in. 
and we were able to go on and to, and to do that. But sometimes, if we don't have the understanding, we send in other replacements. One of the things, one of the first things people always do, uh, people will do, when they don't have understanding and knowledge on a thing, one of the first replacements they're going to send in is imitation. They imitate what they saw. I don't understand exactly what you're, what you're doing. Uh, how many remember this? Uh, Dad, you might remember this. When your, uh, your sons are growing up, and they watch you in the mirror with a razor. And so they, uh, they don't understand what you're doing, but they imitate. And so sometimes, you know, if they really want to imitate, you'll give them a razor. You know, some of the times those big razors that came with the little plastic covers, you put the plastic cover on, you throw some shaving cream on there, and they feel like they're doing the same thing you are doing. They're not. But that they have a lack of understanding. They, they just imitate. You all know that there's, there's things people do. They just imitate what they saw. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to imitate it. And a lot of times we don't accomplish the same purpose. But they, they imitate. This is what we'll do sometimes. We'll show you some more examples of this as we, as we go. But imitation. We do what God told others to do. Well, that God told them to do this, so I'm just going to go out there and do it. Or sometimes we just go out and we just do what... Uh, what we think other people did. Well, I think they were out there doing this. Sometimes we'll hear people and we hear them have a confession about something and their situation changed. They have a confession about their job. I believe in my job. I prosper in my job. And if we hear that confession, we just go out there and we imitate it. I'm going to try and do the same thing. I'm going to say the same thing about my job. But I don't understand what went on before it. I don't understand how that's working. And so if you just imitate, it won't always Work out. One of the greatest places you can understand imitation is if your kids see you write a check. If you still do that. You write a check out and you pay for something. They see you do that. And they try and go and they either get your checkbook or a, or a pad of paper and they try and write the same thing out. It won't be the same thing, will it? But they imitated you. Imitation will not be the same thing. But that's one of the replacements that we send in. We send in something that will imitate one of the, the second thing is nonsense. We do the best thing we can think of. And man's intelligence compared to God's knowledge is nonsense. God can sometimes look on what we're doing and say, what in the world are they up to? That is just, that is just crazy. That is just nonsense. Third, presumption. I presume that whatever God told someone else or whatever someone else did is going to work the same way for me. We might hear somebody, well, I quit my job, and as soon as I quit my job, God gave me a new job. And the new job is better than the old job. Is that right? Man, I'm going to quit my job. And we go, we march in the office the next day, I quit! And we're going out there, and we're looking for... No, that's, you presumed... That because this worked for them, it's going to work for you. You can't make that kind of presumption. Just because something worked for, for them, just because God told them to do it a certain way, doesn't mean that it's going to be working for you the same way. We'll have more places to elaborate on some of these and, and look at more examples down the road. The fourth one is reasoning. We reason out. Well, if God did this, then I think if I do this, this, and this, it should be about the same thing. I think that this should work in the, in the same way. We reason it out. I try and figure God out. And you can't always do that. We have reasoning. How many times do we see in the Bible that 
people reasoned in their hearts. And they came to a conclusion that failed. The Pharisees reasoned in their hearts. They came to a conclusion that failed. The fifth one I wrote down, and again, this is not an exhaustive list. You can probably add some more things to it, is conceit. Well, I know everything. No one can teach me anything. I know it all. And we go and operate in that knowledge, and we'll find out that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So those are some, some of the replacements that we can send in. Let's take a look at the... Uh, and I did something I didn't necessarily want to do. I gave you some blanks in the beginnings here by the, the letters there. That first section there is just knowing. I wanted to fill them in for you, and I don't know why I didn't, but the second one here is demonstrating. We're going to see how Jesus is demonstrated. So the first thing is knowing. He knows all these things, tells us all these things, and he's now he's going to go on and do a demonstration. And then we're going to see some of the replacements that have been done. So Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not, under now, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. Now, let's take a look at these pa this passage here. He's going around. He has started with a couple of the people. He did not start with Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter. So it means he started with someone else. How many of you would like to be the first person? First of all, we don't know what Jesus is doing. He's never done this. He's demonstrating the principle to him. I, I don't know what Jesus is up to. We've never seen this. We've never seen him put this on, take this off. We've never seen him get the, the bit of water. I don't know what he's doing. He comes to the first one and he's washing their feet. And the first guy's probably stunned. Why is Jesus washing my feet? If you were one of Jesus' disciples, how many of you would be saying, if Jesus is washing your feet, Jesus, why are you washing my feet? You're just a little bit stunned, but he's Jesus. Right? We don't want to necessarily just interrupt him, just cut him off. Right, Jesus is going to do what Jesus is going to do. So he gets to the first one. He may have gone to the second, third. I don't know. Simon Peter might be somewhere fourth, fifth, sixth. Eighth, I don't know, somewhere. He just is not the first, probably not the second, maybe not even the third. But he comes to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter is watching this. He sees him go to the first one. He sees him go to the second one. He's going right around in order here. He's not jumping around. He's going right around in order. And so Peter's counting. One, two, three. Coming to me next. What am I going to say when Jesus comes to me? I don't want Jesus washing my feet. My feet are dirty. Jesus shouldn't be washing them up. He's thinking about all these kind of things. And so Jesus comes to him. Then he came to Simon Peter, verse 6, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? All right, now how many of y'all know it does not take a rocket scientist to figure out that Jesus is going to wash his feet? He did it to the first one. He did it to the second one. He did it to the third one. Whoever many he did, it's not hard to figure it out. This is what he's doing. So the question is not, are you about to wash my feet, but are you the Messiah? 
going to wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Now that is a key verse here, and it shows you the stupidity that is in the body of Christ. I did say that correctly. That verse right there will show you the stupidity that is in the body of Christ. Because what does he say here? What I am doing... You cannot understand right now. What I am doing, you do not understand now. Right now, you don't understand what I'm doing. Can Peter understand the concept of washing feet? He's a grown man. He's probably washed his feet a few times. He's probably seen other people wash their feet. He's probably got a pretty good idea about washing feet. I remember one time, Marty, Marty Blackwater, he came on out here. And uh, maybe some of you might remember this when he was here a couple of times ago. And he was beginning to teach, and he t- somehow got onto the shower thing. He said, in the shower, it just seems like uh, people don't wash their feet. You just kind of feel like the feet get washed because you're in there. They kind of come in with you, and they just kind of get washed. And I, when he said that, I was thinking, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just those cross-country runners. Maybe it's just something like, I, I wash my feet every time I'm in there. Um, maybe I just give them more activity. But uh, I've heard that from other people since then. They kind of just get in the shower and just kind of figure out, well, I'm in the shower. The feet are in the shower with me. They should get... They should get washed. But here, back then, it was a much bigger deal because the, they didn't take as many baths as we did and showers. And so washing your feet, washing your hands was a little bit more important. Not only was it ceremonial, but uh, they had sandals, they had dust, they got a, a lot dirty. And so they would come on in and they would just uh, they would get cleaned up. Today, you know, showers are so easy to get. If we got our feet dirty, we were out in the garden working, we were cutting the lawn, doing something that got us messy, we wouldn't just wash our feet. We'd go in and get a whole shower. We'd just go in there and get it all taken care of. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. How many churches do you know that have foot washing ceremonies? Better question. How many people have ever avoided church because they were going to have a foot washing ceremony? Anybody here? Avoided church because you knew a foot washing ceremony was coming up. And, and yeah. You see, that is one that just shows you the stupidity and the foolishness that is in the body of Christ. Because I can understand foot washing. Isn't that right? I can understand washing your feet. What Jesus is saying here, what I am doing, what I am doing, Jesus is doing something, what I am doing, you do not understand now. So whatever we look at him doing that they can understand, and Peter can understand washing the feet because he says, you're not going to wash my feet. You can understand that. What I am doing, you do not understand now. But you will. Verse 8. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Now, a lot of times we take in this really elementary understanding of this and we think well he's just too full of pride and we have foot washing ceremonies so that people can empty themselves of pride and be humble and let somebody else wash their feet you ever heard that teaching from from that that comes out of complete understanding of what jesus is trying to teach here and because you come out with that understanding you don't understand the real thing what i am saying what i am doing jesus said what i am doing you do not understand now You shall never wash my feet. 
This is something that many Christians do today. We have no idea what's going on, but we make a declaration about it. And we say something about it. Well, this will never happen. Well, that will not go on. But I don't understand what's going on. We just make the declaration. Well, I just believe I'm healed. How many times have you heard people make that declaration? I just believe I'm healed. They haven't put anything into it. Now, when we're looking on Wednesday night about the sword and the spirit, anybody uh, tune in on that on Wednesday night who wasn't here? Anybody tune in between now and then? All right, you can go on home. You can check that out if you haven't, uh, haven't done that. We've been on the, the spiritual armor, understanding what these things are. There's a sword of the, fi- of the spirit. Many people think they are using the sword of the spirit, but they are not. They are not because they don't understand what the sword of the Spirit is. So we spent some time on it. Then we looked at it, how it was being applied. I'm not going to go over all those things. That's available to you on the podcast. It's on the Facebook page. It's on the YouTube channel. It's on the Sermon.net app. It's, on the, it's all over the place. You can go out there and get it all kinds of places if you want to. You can um, listen to that and, and see the examples that are being used. But people are going out with what they think is the sword, but it's not the sword of the Spirit. It's a sword of misunderstanding. It's a sword of misapplication. It's a sort of human reasoning. It's a sort of human wisdom. It's the sort of imitation. It's all kinds of things, but it's not the sword of the Spirit. Because you're going to have the sword of the Spirit, the Spirit's going to give you understanding of what that verse is, and you go out and not understand it. So we spent some time on that. You can uh, go check that out. But here, he doesn't understand what's going on, but he makes a statement. He makes this, this is what a lot of Christians do. Well, I heard that Jesus Christ is the healer, so I'm just going to declare that I'm healed. And we think that we have plunged the sword into the enemy. You shall never wash my feet. This, this passage teaches us so much on questions, so much on understanding, so much on knowing. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him. See, it doesn't sound like a question, but Jesus answered them. Because he is saying something. He is basically saying, I'm not worthy for you to, to wash. I don't need you to wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered him. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's the application, right? If Jesus does not accomplish what he is doing, you have no part with me. Now, how many can see that that's something above a foot washing ceremony? If I don't do this, you have no part with me. Huh. All right. Peter still doesn't understand what's going on. Simon Peter said to him, out of his ignorance and non-understanding, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Well, fine. If, If that's what I need to get into the kingdom, I mean, let's get the whole thing going. Let's wash the hands, the head, let's do the whole, the whole thing. And uh, before you're not going to do it at all, now you can do it. Now you can go ahead. He still doesn't understand what Jesus is doing. He's still looking at this as a physical washing of the feet. So therefore, we must physically wash the hands and the head as well. And then Jesus says this statement that will help give clarity to it later on. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. 
Now, this word here, clean, comes from the Greek word to mean bathed. The Greek word luo, it means to bathe. It means to wash the body. The word wash comes from the Greek word nipto. It means to cleanse, especially the hands, feet, or the face. You know, sometimes if you, uh, I guess you ladies, you go to bed and you wash your face for all the stuff that goes, men, uh, women do that more. Uh, men, we do it when we come in from wash, working outside. I may uh, sometimes, uh, if something outside is making my nose itch or I'm sneezing a little bit, I just come in and say, well, I just got to come in and wash my hands and I got to wash my face. And I do that and generally anything that I was sneezing at, uh, picking up some uh, itchiness in the eyes, it goes away. You wash your face, wash your hands. I need, don't need to take a whole shower, but I need to wash those things off. So I make sure, make sure I use soap, get it all off, and usually it's an instant thing. Then seconds, I feel better. This is what it's talking about, bathe, wash. The word here, though, for clean is the word for clean, pure. Clean and pure. Clean and pure. What Jesus is saying here, let's take a look at this. He who is bathed, he who is completely washed, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. So what he knows here is this. You're all clean except for one of you. That means that every single one of you is born again in the family of God, and you have done everything you need so that when the blood of Jesus Christ is applied, you are cleansed. Had it been applied yet, it was about to be, but not yet. You were all clean. Now, because you're clean, he says... Because you are clean, you just need to wash your your hands and your feet. Now, he is teaching them this. This principle is not true yet. This principle is not an action yet because Jesus Christ has not, his blood has not been applied. But it's going to be. And so he's teaching them this. I'm teaching you this now because I won't be here with you to teach this afterwards. I'm going to teach this to you now so that you can understand this. What he's saying is, when you get born again, when you get saved, you are clean. When you get messing around in sin, you get dirty. But in order to be restored to be clean, you don't need to get saved again. You just need to be cleansed. You just need to have your feet washed. You just need to get the dust off from the road, walking around and picking up different things you did in sin. And then you're clean again. That's all he says you need to do. But that needs to get done. So they were in a state of being saved, washed, clean. And Jesus went around and Jesus did that. Now, this is the thing. Peter could not get up and take Jesus' place. Peter could not say, Jesus, put that dust, that, that pan away. I'm going to do this for you. No. Jesus had to do it himself. He had to be the one that was to do it. Jesus is the one who brought salvation when none of us could do it. No other person could do it. Jesus could. He had to be the one to do it. And he did by dying on the cross for our sins. And once that is done, when we get in, involved in sin, when we get entwined in sin, all we need to do is come to Jesus and he will cleanse us. We ask for forgiveness and he will cleanse us. I don't need to be bathed again. I don't need to get born again. I don't need to get rebaptized or anything like that. All I need to do is come to him. First John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to 
cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We get restored. That's what he is teaching them. This is a principle that they would learn later on. But Peter makes this declaration based on his feelings, not God-given understanding. So many Christians, we make statements based on feelings, not God-given understanding. Well, I don't feel saved. I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel healed. I don't feel prosperous. I don't feel like I'm in the kingdom. Doesn't matter how you feel. God has given you understanding on these things. You've got to understand what it is that God has taught you. Now, many will do the same thing that Peter did in this, in that they'll make declarations out of their own understanding, out of their own nonsense, out of their own uh, ridiculous things that they can come up with, out of their own human reasonings. We do this. We do this in the area of abortion. How many people? Pastors. We were going to, well, I read uh, for some of you that article that talked about pastors that I think one-third of them, if I remember the details right, one-third don't believe the Bible teaches against abortion. One-third of evangelical pastors, if I believe the article said. Evangelical pastors, one-third don't believe it. Hmm. Because they reason out some other things. They can come up with some stuff. They can, they can do, there's a whole, I think it was, uh, I think again it was one-third, this is just a thing of pastors, I must have brought it in on Wednesday night. I don't think I brought it in on a, on a Sunday. So it was on a, on a Wednesday, and I was reading this thing because it had come to me this week, and I was just appalled at some of the stuff. And one-third of them are on the side of the world when it comes to men and women. Well, you know, there's men, there's women, there's transvestites, there's uh, people who uh, think they're one thing and they, they are another. And, and because they don't understand Scripture. Now, let me just throw this here out to you. And just see if you understand this. How many know that God did not create Adam male? How many people know that? God did not create Adam male. Pull up that scripture for any other ones, that extra one I asked them to, to pull up. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We have the verses that come after that too? Okay. Adam was created in what? Let us make man in our image. Adam is not made male. Adam is made in the image of God. Now go on to the next verse, 27. We'll probably need to. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. See that? In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What that's saying here is that when Adam was made, he was in the image of God. These stupid translations out there, I use that word intentionally. These stupid translations out there that want to get male and female references to God, all mixed up, you know, and they call God she and all this sort of stuff. And so, God is not male. He's also not female. God is God. When Adam was made, he was made in that image. He was made in the image of God. Male and female, he created them. In the line of humans, there was no male and female until God came down to Adam 
and created Eve. It's not good for man to be alone, all that sort of stuff. How many know that in the, in the Bible, that terrible translation, God did not create Eve out of a rib. That's not what the Bible says. That's what the translation says. God did not create Eve out of a rib. We spent some time in the time of Genesis. Um, I, I, I think it's up there somewhere. Uh, male and female, he created them. When he put Adam to sleep, he didn't take a rib out of Adam. He took a cavern. He took a part of Adam. And out of that, he made Adam into a male and Eve into a female. When Eve was created, Adam didn't stay the same. Adam changed. Because up until then, Adam was complete. Then he took part of Adam and he made the female and he left the other part in Adam, and Adam became the male. Is that new to anybody? That's how he created them. God does not make mistakes. If you were born with a woman's body, you are a woman. If you were born with a man's body, you are a man. The enemy comes in and tries to complicate it because it challenges the scripture. Adam was created in the image of God. Not in the image of a male. He was created in the image of God. Adam and Eve were created male and female. When he put him to sleep, he didn't just pull the rib out. I don't even know why they translate it that way. It's such a poor translation of it. But um, it's Hebrew. I'm not as much of a Hebrew scholar, so I had to go pull off some other, other things. Uh, you can look it up, or I'll see if I can find stuff on it. Male and female, he created them. When people go out there and they want to challenge... They were born a boy. I think I might be a girl. It's just the enemy trying to tell them you're not who God created you. God made a mistake. You're somebody different. You're something different. And of course, how many, how many um, genders do they have now? So they're just two? Yeah, that's not it. Male and female, he created them. You are either created male or you're created female. We come up with some stupid things. Because we make declarations out of stuff we don't understand. People today are doing this. We come up with stupid things on abortion. We come up with stupid things about men and women. We come up with stupid things for unexplainable death. If we have somebody who died, who was young, we don't know why they died. We come up with some kind of a stupid explanation. We have pastors who get up in front. Well, we don't know why God took them. I guess he needed them more than we did. Well, I guess God was lonely. I guess he had a job for them in heaven that they just needed to go up there and do. And they come up with this stupid stuff. People die outside of the will of God all the time. It happens. God didn't want it, but they did. We could spend and make a study in the New Testament. not going to try and do that here today. Natural disasters come up. Well, that must be an act of God. I don't know if you know this or not, but when God created the earth, and put Adam on it, there were no hurricanes, there were no tornadoes, there was no weather events. There were none. None. And I don't just have to prove that to you from the Scriptures. Science will prove it to you as well. How many of y'all remember when the, uh, the, the woolly mammoths they found in the North Pole? Remember the new woolly mammoths are all frozen? The reason for that was during the flood of Noah, the atmosphere of the earth changed. The firmament that was in the heavens came down onto the earth. When God remade the earth, and we talked about that, uh, what was the last Sunday, the Sunday before, something like that. When God remade the earth, he put a firmament or a covering of water. That covering of water is a cloud cover. 
That meant you had no sunny days. No sunny days. Every day it was cloud cover. But how many of us have seen that, that the people in the Old Testament, the early part of the Old Testament, they lived to 600, 700, 800, 900 years? How did they live all those years? Was the Bible just getting it all messed up? You will notice if you go into the genealogies and look after the flood, after the flood, the lifespan dropped drastically. We dropped down to 100 and something. Then we dropped down to the 70s and the 80s. And then we dropped down into the 50s and the 60s. It's because the cloud covering that was over the earth also prevented the sun's UV lights from getting through and your body didn't deteriorate. That's why they live so much longer. Now, because of that, the heat on the earth was pretty much the same at the equator as it was as the North Pole. Scientists will tell you this. They have things that they can show you. At the North Pole, it used to be the same temperature, warm, things grew at the North Pole the same way it did in the other parts of the earth because they have stuff that was there growing. They have woolly mammoths with food in their mouth frozen solid. It was a sudden thing because when that flood came, it destroyed what was in the, in the atmosphere. And it's not because it all came down in rain. The flood of Noah did not come because of the rain. The rain came because the firmament was coming out of the sky. The flood came for another reason. And um, I've actually seen some of the scientific data on this one. There's actually a, a, a cause for the flood and a cause for the firmament to have gone out of the, out of the way. But I'm not going to get it. I get sidetracked into too many things. You guys are pulling me to me the other way. <laughs> There's a cause for all that, and there's a reason why the firmament left then. There's a reason why the North Pole, Pole suddenly became an ice bucket and things froze, flash froze suddenly. South Pole, same thing. There's a reason for it. That's what brought on the flood. Up until then, the heat was dispersed evenly around the globe. If, when you have hurricanes, the reason for hurricanes is because it is a heat-distributing system. It takes the heat from the hot parts of the earth and it moves it along. That's why hurricanes occur when it is warm and they move the, the heat. I've heard it said scientists have, have meteorologists. I kind of like meteorology. I like the, the study of all that sort of stuff. And so some of the studies that I was doing on this, they said if we could come up with a way to dust a hurricane and cause it to fall apart, the havoc that would be created would be greater than the havoc that the hurricane brings. Because if you don't let that heat distribute and go back to moving around on the earth, it'll be a, be a problem. But you see, God had a system in place to have that go on, but sin, the sin of man, caused the flood to come, which caused that firmament to go away, and now we have, now we have sunny days. Every time you go out there and look at a sunny day, it's because of sin. <laughs> I don't know. I, my, my, myself, I'd rather have 70, 80 years with sunny days than 600 years of cloud cover. That's just me. Anytime we have changes we don't understand, anytime there's hardship, there's money, there's job loss, anytime there's growing evil and sin in the world that we see, we come up for explanations of it, we don't go to the Word. Whereas the Word of God has an explanation for all these things. All you got to do is press in and understand. But just like Peter, people who don't understand what's going on make declarations about what has happened. And they'll say these things. 
So Peter has made this declaration. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Well, he washed their feet. He said they're not going to understand this right now. But he says, Do you know what I have done to you? Do you know? Do you have this understanding of what Jesus has done? Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, so also ought to wash, um, so, so also you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent, is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know how these things, if, <laughs> not reading it right, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So he gave us an example and he says to do it. And so there's many churches out there and they do foot washing ceremonies and they come on in and probably when you come on in, the last thing that needs to be washed in your body is your feet. You're probably scrubbed up and washed up and all taken care of when you come on into the service and we have the foot washing ceremony and then things go on and, and people go off thinking that they did what Jesus said to do and they did not because what Jesus is teaching them is not washing their feet. He's teaching them about forgiveness. He said, if you are clean, or if you are bathed, if you are cleaned, you don't need to be cleaned again. You already are clean. But you'll need to be washed. Your feet will need to be washed. You'll need to have that going on. If you are saved, you don't need to get saved again when you miss God. You just need to get in. Father God, I confess before you, I, I don't know. I, I know what I was doing here. And uh, I just disobeyed your word. Whatever it was, I just disobeyed you. And you ask for forgiveness. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Do you need to go back there and find every sin that you did? No. But when you become convicted of sin, oh, I see in the word, I see that I shouldn't have done this, I know that I shouldn't have done this, and we ask for forgiveness for it, we come to him and he says, all right, let's just wipe the whole slate clean, let's go. I don't need to sit there and go back, find everything. The devil will try and put you under condemnation to think you have to but that's only because you don't understand what's being done when we have a lack of understanding he can interject all sorts of stuff and that's not what Jesus is teaching he says if you are clean if you've been bathed you don't need to get cleaned again you just need to wash you just need to get involved with God and missed it repent and go on so he's telling them, I want you to do what I have done. He has set them an example. Now, here's a, some blanks I gave it. We settle for mimicking Jesus' actions instead of understanding his intent. Very often we, we settle. I'm just going to mimic what Jesus did. Jesus washed their feet. I'm going to go around. I'm going to wash other people's feet. And we think, how good am I? I am so humble to go over here and to wash other people's feet. Isn't this great? of me, I'm obeying God, I'm doing what God said. We settle for mimicking Jesus' actions instead of understanding his intent. Jesus said, if, if I do not wash you. He didn't say if Peter didn't wash you. He didn't say if John didn't wash you. He said, if I do not wash you. The person who forgives sins is Jesus. It's not some priest. It's not some person on this earth. The person who forgives sins is Jesus. It's his blood that washed us in the first place. It's Him that will restore us. It is Jesus, not us. 
Don't, don't fall into that. And he said, I have given you an example to follow. In order to follow an example, you got to first off, you got to understand it. I got to understand the example that God has given me. If I don't understand the example, I'm not going to be able to mimic and do what he said to do. I've got to, well, how, what exactly are you doing here? And so I got to ask that question. What is going on? If the disciples did not know what was happening at the time it was happening, and I come out with the same understanding that they had, which was to wash each other's feet, then I'm not going to do what he said to do. And what he's saying to do here is I cannot, me personally, I cannot restore you to a place of being clean before Jesus. You cannot come and confess your sins to me or me do any kind of absolving of sins. That cannot happen. I cannot do that. Jesus does. But I am supposed to do the same thing. And so we see this taught in other places in the Word of God in that as I have been forgiven, what am I supposed to do? Forgive others. If I have received forgiveness, I need to go out and forgive other people. If I have been blessed, what do I need to do? Go out and bless others. If, I had, if I've had mercy, what do I need to do? Give mercy to others. If I have been loved, God has loved me, what am I supposed to do? Go out and love others. If I have been comforted, if I have comforted in the Spirit, if I have comforted in, the, in Jesus, if I have been comforted, what am I supposed to do? Go out and give comfort to other people. If I have been accepted, how many of you have been accepted by Jesus just the way you were? The rest of you, pray for salvation afterwards. <laughs> if I have been accepted by Jesus the way that I was, and I go out and I demand other people become this, that, the other thing before I accept them, I'm not following in Jesus' example. I'm not doing what Jesus had done. But the example that Jesus gave us here at the foot washing is an example of forgiveness. It's not an example of all those other things. It's an example of forgiveness. Because what caused me to be clean in the body of Christ is I have been forgiven. And then from there on out, Jesus will forgive me of whatever sins that I do. In the same way, other people are going to come to you and they have sinned. They have wronged you. Not wronged God, they have wronged you. What are you supposed to do? Forgive them. If they come, we've talked about forgiveness before. Just because somebody wronged you doesn't mean you just extend forgiveness and restore them back to a place of trust. You don't harbor bitterness inside, but that restoring someone to a place of trust, that can come with time. That's not how God forgives. We spent time on that sometime before. I don't want to get lost in all the, our little rabbit trails here. But we've been accepted. We've got to accept others. We've been blessed. I've got to find others to bless. Because you see, if we stop doing these things, I can cut off what has been done. Same way that if I stop forgiving people, I can cut off the forgiveness that was forgiven to me, that was given to me. Now, here's a question I have for you: What is the difference? What is the difference between acceptance and tolerance? What is the difference between acceptance and tolerance? We're going to save that one for next week. Because sometimes we have gone on and I feel like 
in order to live up to Jesus' example, I need to accept everything that's going on. I need to accept people. But there's a difference between acceptance and tolerance. And sometimes we've asked this question to ourselves. Am I doing wrong by tolerating this in someone's life? By tolerating this with this person in my life? Am I doing wrong in letting this person who's embraced these sins, am I just accepting of them? Or am I tolerating things that I should not tolerate? So what do we do about that? What is the difference between acceptance and tolerate? So we're going to take a look at that next week. There's a story in the Bible that will help us out with that. That's where we always got to go. You got to go into the Bible. You got to see what the Word of God teaches. That's the important thing. But what I want you to see here is that Peter, first off, Peter constantly made the declarations and asked questions out of ignorance. Those questions would not bring light, and those declarations had no power. There are some things in the Christian walk that you just need to have an understanding of in order to get them to work in your life. That's why one of the things we always do here is try and bring you understanding into the passage of scriptures, understanding into what's being taught, understanding into what's, what's going on. We've been taking up the spiritual armor on uh, Wednesday nights in our Ephesians series because it's important that you have an understanding of what these things are. If you just see them as some kind of a natural thing and you just put your shield on and your sword on and your breastplate on and your helmet on and all this stuff, and you don't understand what they are, then they're not going to do any good for you. If we understand the helmet to be the wrong thing and not what it actually was, then I'm not equipped for battle. If I understand the shoes in the wrong way, how many have heard them call the shoes of peace? Anybody listen, not listen to the shoes of peace from Wednesday night? It's okay, you can say you haven't. If you haven't listened to the shoes of peace, I, I, I couldn't accept that. I knew going into it. I cannot accept that these are the shoes of peace. I knew it. Down in my spirit, I know this is not what this thing is. It is not the shoes of peace. I've got to find out what it is. And uh, the people come out on Wednesdays, they'll tell you, I, I called off Wednesday, what, two hours before? Two hours before service, I sent a text out. I said, guys, I'm calling off the service. I'm not ready. I have been, re I have been working on that one since the beginning of getting into spiritual armor because I knew that's not right. That is not right. And I don't know what's right, but I've got to know what's right. I'm not going to teach that. I know it's not the shoes of peace. It is not the shoes of peace. So what are they? And so I kept pressing in, finding out. So I just sent them all that, nope, nope, no service tonight. We're just canceling the service. And uh, I'll come on back next week. And by the next week, I did get it. <laughs> and then saw it in Scripture. Oh, yeah, there it is. And I saw it was such an in integral part of the spiritual armor that is not in most Christians' hands. So if that doesn't whet your appetite, going out there and get a hold of that. But you really will have to start back over at the beginning, back over verse 10, when he said, <laughs> he starts the whole thing off. All right, here's the last thing I want to go over with you. Basically what he says. It's important. Because you've got to be equipped for, the, for what you're facing. You've got to be equipped for what's going out there. It's important to understand. See, I knew I was not teaching the shoes of peace from a place of proper understanding. I had to get the right understanding. So I spent an extra week, got a hold of the right understanding, and then I could preach from a point of understanding. All right, now I got it. Now, down in my spirit, it says, you got it now. That's what it is. That's what it is. I've taught it before the other way. It wasn't right. But I just knew this time, going in, I knew it. This isn't right. This isn't where it's supposed to go. The helmet was the other one. The helmet was the second one. It was, I said, all right, this one's going to give me a little bit of trouble. I've got I to work on this one, too. Because I know the helmet's not what people were teaching it. I know it's not what people were teaching it. Because the helmet does not protect your mind. How many have heard that the helmet of salvation protects your mind? Keeps you in peace and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's garbage. That is pure garbage. 
because of the shield of faith stops or quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy. Why do you need a helmet to do the same thing? Isn't that that all right? If the shield of faith quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy, then why do you need a helmet of salvation to get the ones that it misses? See, I knew that wasn't right. So that one came a little bit easier. Then. So we spent some time on that. These are things that you need to have. You need to have the armor. We're going in the battle. Whether you want to be in the battle or not, you're in the battle. You've got to be armed with the right thing. So hopefully what's your appetite going out there? Check those things out. Would you stand up with me? Don't make declarations that are not backed up. That's the sword of the Spirit. sword of the Spirit is going to be much like a declaration. You're going to say some things. You're going to speak some things to your situation. But you've got to make sure it's a sword. Now, I told you um, uh, in the bulletin, if you read the bulletin, I'm not sure this Wednesday whether we're going to spend more time on the sword or we're going to be moving on to the seventh and final piece of armor. And uh, I hold that out. I've said this often enough. I'm not in a hurry. The older I get, the less hurry I am in. I'm not in a hurry to get through this. If we spend another week on this, that's okay. I want to make sure we get a hold of it. But you've got to turn the Scriptures into a sword of the Spirit. You've got to turn that into it so that it's actually a weapon that will do what it's supposed to do in your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you that you have equipped us to understand what we need to understand and to do what we lack understanding of, but know if I do it, if I do what God said, we'll be okay. There are situations where we'll be like the servants at the wedding at Cana where we just need to do what you say, even though we don't understand it. But there's other situations like here with Peter where you expect a level of understanding and even said, right now you're not understanding this, but you will. You will. And when they understood it, they were expected to go out and do the same thing. Father, you have given us forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And we need to live our lives down here and forgive those that have wronged us. Forgive those that have brought harm to us. That if they come and they say, forgive me, I've sinned against you. I've hurt you. I've harmed you. Will you forgive me? Then we need to be just like Jesus and to wash everyone because he washed every person's foot, feet that were there, every single one, including the one who would betray him. He came up to Judas and washed his feet the same way he washed everyone else. Didn't do it any different. Help us, Father, to walk. Follow that example that Jesus gave us. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.